Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you all have a cup of tea and you are ready for Christian's talk. We have Christian joining us from the University of Edinburgh. Christian, are you in Edinburgh right now? Or? Yes. yes, I am at the Murray House Library. Oh, wonderful. I wanted to talk a little bit about introducing um, Christian's work because it sounds really, really interesting. He's a PhD student at Moray House at the University of Edinburgh and is working through an arts-based methodology, um, investigating vagabond, educating, existential detours and indirect pedagogies as contributions to the de-optimization of educational systems. His research experiments with no agenda resting spaces and facilitates interrent processes for de-walling institutional spheres to move away from benchmarking and ableism in and of academia and instead create hospitality hubs. I love that phrase, a hospitality hub. And I'm hoping that there's photos and things that we'll be able to see through this, what those look like. So Christian's going to be answering a few different questions throughout his presentation looking at how we can nurture wider societal welcome from within university networks. What is the relevance of academic hospitality for the continuity of welcome? And to what extent could an initiative emanating from the exclusive and at the same time highly precarious bubble of early career academia dwell in civic and non-academic spheres without occupying them with the growth-oriented expansionism and temporal pressures that characterize contemporary universities? As someone who's currently in the process of finishing my PhD, this is extremely timely. Um, I'm also very curious about the answers to these questions and taking this work um, a bit further and looking at hospitality hubs and community um, and how we can take that kind of what we feel in an academic setting and academia outside of our walls. So thank you so much for joining us and I will go ahead and hand on over to you. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for this introduction, and uh, thank you for giving me the, the opportunity to uh, share some ideas. So I won't be answering uh, these questions that I pose, but I hope like to open a space of, of discussion with you together. We think about uh, these ideas of academic hospitality from an early career perspective. So the idea or the reflections I'm sharing is, I call it tiny campus, it's about experimenting with pop-up hospitalities across Europe, and especially through the university lens. The work, uh, it's not so much sharing findings of a fixed research project, but it's something that came out of my PhD, uh, and it's about creating uh, the platforms. It's about creating spaces from which the sharing of values can be further nurtured and cultivated. So I'm really interested in experimenting with networking formats, uh, and all of this through the lens of a mobile shepherd's hut. Some of you might have seen the shepherd's hut at the, at the spring school 2019, but for others, it's maybe new this, uh, to see this hut. The first tiny campus pop-up event took place in Freiburg in Germany just a few days ago. We had our first concrete experience, so it's not just ideas, but it's also the start of the concretization of the tiny campus. And uh, for those who, who don't know about uh, the Shepherd's Hut, about this itinerant learning space, 
I think it's important to understand the roots and the trajectory with this uh, Shepherd's Hub for why should a scheme for networking, why should it be called a campus? What's so uh, important about situating it also in the academy? The roots of this itinerant learning space, they started in the academy, they developed outside of the academy, and now it's situated in between. The aim is always to connect conceptually or through practices things that don't usually sit together. So one example is to cultivate hospitality through offering spaces of retreat. Another example is the um, invitation into a hut that can be seen as private and, and very introspective, but through uh, activities of public pedagogy. And another thing, it's a mobile itinerant hut, but it, when it works well, it also allows stillness to be experienced. So the hut is constantly in, in between, and that's also uh, in between academy, uh, the academy and outside. So all projects that involve the Shepherd's Hut, uh, they uh, have uh, like one or many things in common. Uh, I call it civic shelter. It's about holding open fluid hospitality hubs, so an open hospitality hub, but which sends out invitations for being in a safe space. And this with strangers, with people, other people who come and pop by, around uh, the wood fire stove. So it's a retreat that is visible in the public. The idea started inside the walls of the university, but I didn't like uh, the need for intellectual territories at the time, like disciplinary categories or institutional categories and institutional territories where uh, excellence is measured through neat categories. So I imagined vagabond learning spaces to get out of this, and that came out of the, the master thesis. And then uh, after a while, since 2010, this idea of a vagabond learning space became the, the concrete shepherd's hut, and it became a community practice to go into public spaces uh, and was very much inspired by uh, schools that, that are situated in a truck or that are situated in a boat or in a tent from the global south, but also uh, traditions from France, the Veille Paysanne, to be uh, sitting together, just sitting together in the village and sharing stories. And this is an intergenerational experience. And so uh, for quite a while, uh, the project of this Shepherd's Hut was roaming around in uh, with working with libraries, community centers, uh, museums, and also just uh, other associations. The interesting thing about this vagabond hospitality is that uh, the facilitator of this hut always comes from the outside. So it doesn't really come from the neighborhood, but then brings together people from that neighborhood who might not have the habit of sharing and, and, and sitting together in the same space. That's the project as it developed since 2010. And in that time, there was very rarely a connection with universities. Uh, but after uh, years of, of let's say precarious and small fund, uh, like sh uh, short-term funding for this associative project, there was also a need from my side to go back to university where the idea started and to um, also connect back to this. And it was possible at the University of Edinburgh, there was funding for PhD work. So uh, suddenly this vagabond had got a, a more permanent location within university. And I want to quote uh, Paulo Freire here because Freire says the classroom can be understood as a plastic material that's shaped into one thing. And I think there are certain standard settings that we have in the universities, but it's also capable of being reshaped into something else. 
And that's what I've experienced in, in many settings, but also in, in this home base at Mori House Quad, where uh, this tiny house also enlarged the idea of what a classroom can be. So uh, since 2018, I have a PhD uh, student perspective. So I'm speaking now more from, from, from that perspective, but uh, bringing also in the, the associative work. In the first year of my PhD, I had the chance to do a very immersive and very um, public uh, start of my uh, researching activities. So I went to many conferences, or let's say many academic events, and uh, I put there the hut as a conference fringe. Uh, I wanted to uh, test and to look at how um, the academic events can be also uh, differently experienced through different localities, so of the, the warmth of the shepherds had the outdoor space. And um, that's something that happened just before COVID. And uh, COVID-19, of course, disrupted all of this. But the ideas that came from this, like how the language of academic events can often be very exclusionary, that's something that um, the reflection I've taken uh, over through the, the COVID times. And of course, in lockdowns, it was very difficult to think of a hut at academic events, they all moved online. But then there was one a small experience that really is very, very important for what is now the idea of the tiny campus. I lived in Freiburg at that time, and I applied for a conference that had to move online because of the pandemic. And the two early career researchers who organized it, Canadian studies, they said, but you applied, let's do something different and let's bring the hut to the university uh, like a pre-conference day and this experience of organizing something together the three of us was really um, it, it made me think is there maybe a possibility for a scheme or for something continuous something permanent where early career researchers can use this part to do uh, conferencing differently and then we applied uh, three uh, early career researchers at Strasbourg Freiburg and me as uh, from Edinburgh, we applied for this tiny campus idea. So to start pop-up events inside the academy, we're trying to go beyond the, the usual settings. And it's in, in some ways, it's expanding the experience, the building on the experience, the reflection of encounter in community settings, which uh, is inspired by the, uh, the Welcome Hubs and Revotech projects, uh, the civic projects. And to imagine them uh, now as a public networking scheme. So moving from encounter to um, a continuous scheme of encounter uh, for early career researchers to facilitate temporary presences in diverse locations. And uh, now from my conceptual uh, investigations, I look more and more into the, the question of academic hospitality and how uh, academic hospitality is different from hospitality full stop. Like, what is the specific about, about this academic enacting of hospitality? And this question asked by uh, Phipps and Barnett, it's, I think it's, first of all, experienced through the tra trajectory of the tiny house, who is welcomed with open arms and who is not. Uh, and at first, the, the tiny house wasn't welcomed very easily. It was very difficult to get funding. And then when you're in, it's much easier. But then uh, the question is, how can now, from the perspective within academia, how can uh, these open arms, how can they be extended and how can it not stay within 
the definition, the, the usual definitions of academic. And here, I would like to, to point out that this tiny campus idea that the topic of each day, it's not um, the only thing that's important. So it's not about knowledge sharing as findings, sharing of findings of data or of best practices. But this uh, question asked by Charman and Dixon, I think that really explains what this is about, about uh, not so much about fixed knowledge, but about recognizing the different ways of knowing from which the new can arise. So this pop-up day, the first activity that was organized by a student, PhD student at the University of Freiburg, Michelle Thompson, the topic she chose was drawing and uh, arts research methods related to the arts. But what's also very important is to look into the ways, different ways, and here in this sense, the spatial ways of knowing from which new knowledge collaboration can arise. The setting, it's still its university grounds. It's in the middle of the city of Freiburg. We, of course, want to go beyond the academy, so next events will uh, take place in different locations. This space, uh, central to university, but also central to city life, is invested by uh, the tiny house on, the, on this square. And for most part, the first conferencing day took place outside. I would like to here look a little bit more at the idea of de-walling. So de-walling, uh, taking the walls of the institutional walls, not completely out, but to reframe it, like Freire said, with the plasticity of this artistic uh, fabric, to try to see where the walls uh, can be transformed into something else. And it's supposed to be a safe space which invites curiosity, humility, and vulnerability to be shared and sheltered. So that these parts uh, of early career research alive, they can also be um, expressed and, and stay there. So de-walling as creating atmospheres that are deep privileged, where the access is more easy. Uh, the feedback from the organizer and also the participants of the first day focus on the, uh, the spatial dimension and how the setting really uh, became almost like a room. So it's a room, but it doesn't have the walls. So it's invisible walls of protection. There's like a, a frame, but at the same time, it's open and still it's protecting and uh, make people share more. And um, so my question is how... There are standardized furniture for universities, and mostly they are considered as indoor rooms. And uh, some of the participants said they've never done an outdoor workshop before. And so do we really need to fit these standardized furniture provided by the universities? And then also the question of scale and expansion and um, making this a tiny project um, was still very uh, difficult to organize as a small team, but it's the quality over the quantity and then actually organizing something that's not spectacular, that uh, can disrupt the pressure that early career researchers need to do ambitious things and somehow often in an individualistic way. And uh, these discourses of achievement disrupt them. And I hope this pop-up disruption can uh, remind of going beyond the standardized language of academic events and what uh, the team of UNESCO chair uh, have pointed out the ongoing everyday ordinary acts of linguistic hospitality and um, with linguistic hospitality then speaking 
from within the academy, but in terms that are really meant as invitation and not meant as only for expert access. So it's about the arts and crafts of holding open these possibilities for unplanned encounter, unoccupying in the sense of uh, going into a public space, but not as an extension of the university, but instead uh, the early career researchers can look as guests to the public space, what these spaces are about and to temporarily inhabit them only and not to occupy them. And uh, as I said already, the vulnerability and humility as positive features because then participants can share also about the pressures that are felt and that are often hidden behind the mask of individual career progression. So that's um, an outline of the idea. I, I wanted to just point out that it's planned to um, not only stay in Freiburg and the Strasbourg area, that's a, that was the start of it, but uh, to um, look also at possibility to uh, go um, for a tour in, in Ireland and in Scotland and giving uh, this uh, logistical support, this space, uh, that can be provide an anchor for small groups that want to bridge uh, the gaps between the campus and the many art activists in different kinds of venues and to invest this uh, interstice. And uh, the continuous thematic thread it's a reflection about the potential, but also the limitations of hospitality that's from within the academia. And uh, there I have a few questions um, that I wanted to discuss with you together. So I don't have the answers, but I want to rather open up to this debate about hospitality from academics and from within academia and through the lens of the tiny house and now moving to maybe your perspectives. So I guess this is a question that came up as, as you were going through. Um, I know you've got discussion points here, but if it's okay, I'm just going to jump in with this real quick. Because you your talk reminded me so much of um, something that we're doing next week with some of the UNESCO RILA team and going to uh, Camus on the Isle of Mull. And in the planning of it, there's been quite a bit of discomfort around the idea of being in the space where it's you know supposed to be this writing retreat, but we don't have access to uh, electricity or Wi-Fi. Um, so it's kind of counterintuitive to what I think a lot of people are familiar with. So it, it kind of ties into that idea you were talking about connecting things that normally that don't sit together and mean, okay, this is our space, this is what we're doing. So I guess talking about discomfort, did you have many people who who were initially maybe um, discomforted or just just had a little little bit of unease around easing into the space that you've created and how do you how do you navigate and manage that? Yeah, so uh, about the first experience with Tiny Campus, what was interesting is that some people signed up for the topic and others signed up because they wanted to uh, be in an outdoor space. And then when people come at the start of the event, it was really interesting to, to see this, uh, yeah, different uh, priorities uh, coming together. And uh, I mean, there it's really helpful to have these years of community work where uh, because it's uh, like anyone can just come uh, to, the, to the hut, it's about looking for different ways to make this comfort, this frame of comfort installed from the very start. So because not everyone is immediately attracted to a tiny campus standing there somewhere without big descriptions. 
But yeah, I, I think that's uh, this frame, what people were giving as a feedback, there was invisible walls and like a frame. Uh, yeah, it takes time to build it and it's really the setting that, that sets the scene. Christian, I just I just love talking to you about your work. I love the way your work's developed. I'm so delighted you eventually, after a lot of struggle, found the home for this PhD at Murray House. And I think you are asking exactly the questions that we're also groping towards in different ways within the Inesco Ryla team. You know, I, I regularly talk about the cushions or the stools or the circles or the cloths on the floor and that. I might have a chair, but really it's a sofa and everyone can sit on it. And yes, it's said with a bit of a joke and it is about acknowledging hierarchy and the need to de-hierarchize. But I also think it's very much a, a different way of trying to express what you're also expressing. And I I was cringing actually when you were citing that 2007 article because um, I know it's it belongs to peacetime. It belongs to a very different stage of the university life. It belongs to a time when precarity was not the disease that is um, a syndemic now right across the world. It was a very much, you know, you might be temporary for six months or a year, but then it would all be okay. And now it's not, it's radically not. So I was really thinking a lot about all of this, but I was also just kind of, you know, reflecting on the the work, the labor, the political economy of de-walling and de-optimizing, because I'm aware of what that costs. So uh, the last spring school that we had in um, Scottsdale, I made a joke, but it had actually woken me up at three o'clock in the morning before I gave my closing reflections, which was that in order for everybody to be in that room, I had literally filled in four million words in text boxes. And the text box to me is the kind of archetype of the walled university. It's the bureaucracy. It's what David Graeber calls the bullshit job. Now that is all I had done. It, to enable the, the kind of the de-walling that you're talking about and that I think um, ECRs are doing brilliantly and that I see expressed within the spring school. But in order for it to happen, that was the labor required. Now, I'm an absolute nut for this. I will completely do the text boxes. I will destroy my life with the horror show that is these things because I believe in it. I believe in it passionately. And I think we've got to put all of our labor into this form of peace building, which is what I see your work as. And as conflict transformation in an age of war but very few people will so how this is my question after a long um, prelude how do we convert people to the ways of peace through these experiences and at one and the same time get rid of all the things that mean that people like me have to spend our lives filling in four million words in text boxes that other people read all of which is pointless yeah. when we have a paradigm that works that's my question it, it's one you'd get at a viva so it's a good it's a good practice <laughs> yeah exactly and i think uh, what i put in this question is this words pop up permanency and i think um i don't see pop up as um opposite of permanency but that's really where i've been struggling taking different roles uh, first as a precariously funded freelance worker with a hard project and then thinking in academia it will be like more stable, but then actually the opposite is true as an early career. It's really a very precarious period. And then the other thing is that if you want to uh, be involved in academia, it asks you almost 150% commitment, but doesn't give you the stability of 150% commitment. And then I, I see myself completely struggling between these roles of 
of having started up as a precarious civic uh, project and then uh, finding myself again encountering this precarity and our tiny campus project is filling out forms as like the hidden side where we get funding because it's innovative but then these forms are completely taking all uh, innovation out and then also the thing I I think those who are based in a place where they want to invite the hut uh, they will have to fill out all these institutional territorial forms and, and, and that's completely contradicting to what we want to achieve with the tiny campus. So I do think there is a, a possibility to, to think about this as a, as a scheme where it's permanent uh, funding is built in it, uh, but it needs to be about sharing the roles and sharing the form filling. And I feel uh, because we're all in early career research, there is this individualistic career progression. And then uh, if there is an opportunity for something more shared, I think it, uh, it's possible to, to, to build something like this. And it was also the aim to, to present this here at the, uh, because I know that we're working at very, very similar spaces between academia and, and uh, community work. And so how can there be uh, like a shared initiative? How can it move on to a shared initiative where it doesn't, all stay the form filling or preparation work doesn't stay with one person. And that was also the case with a person based at the University of Freiburg. And this has to change, yeah. Yeah, I could talk to you for a long time and I really don't want to take over the questions at all. But I do think, I think there's a really important question for us to ask, you know, for you to ask, for me to ask. But mm-hmm. it's about what is what does accountability look like? Because I think it's important when it isn't just a set of forms. And I don't know if you've read it, but my book of the year, in fact, probably my book of my academic career, I read this year, which was The Dawn of Everything by David Graeber and David Wengrow. And it's just a, a truly remarkable book. It's setting me on the journey through its generous, humble scholarship of thinking about, well, how do we redesign? You know, Once we've de-walled and we've decreated and done all the Ds, how do we do all the re's? And that's where, you know, I know um, Yab is on the call, but where his work with the restoring, the regenerating, the reparation work that he's looking at, I think really comes in. Christian, thank you so, so much. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts a podcast series to make you think. More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.